be reading today from Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It's always good to, uh, to be with folks who want to be with the Lord. We thank him for uh, this time and opportunity that he has afforded us today. It's been a few weeks now, but I had begun, and I need to finish a series of thoughts that I was sharing with you. Uh, really, it was part of my own meditation, something that was, uh, I was finding helpful for myself, and so I've shared it in the hope that it might be of some benefit to you. Uh, but you'll recall in Luke chapter 2, we have the most insight that we can find into the early life of our Lord. You know, the Bible sort of presents Jesus to us as a full-grown man on the eve of entering into his ministry. But in Luke chapter 2, we see lots of insights into his early years. It's the most that we have. And one of the most striking things to me in the chapter is the Bible says that Jesus grew, he increased. And so it is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 40, the Bible tells us he increased in wisdom. But then in verse 52, it tells us that as of the age of 12, he increased or advanced or grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. And so I'd already presented lessons about Jesus increasing mentally and physically and socially and I mentioned to you at that time that I was a little hesitant to do the lesson about him increasing spiritually because I had already treaded over some of this ground, but I'm sort of sensitive about talking about some of the same things when I preach that I've talked about before. And I look back and it had been a year and a half and I figure none of you guys will remember anything I said a year and a half ago anyway. Um, so I do want to spend some time thinking about Jesus increasing spiritually. You hear a lot of people talk about being spiritual, but we don't all mean the same thing when we say that. You know, sometimes we'll talk with people and they'll say, well, I'm a spiritual person, but, but I'm not a religious person. Well, what do they mean by that? Every human being has a spirit. The fact that you have life means that you have a portion of God's spirit within you. It allows you to live. It allows you to be animated. And listen to me, friends. When the Bible says that men and women are created in the image of God, that doesn't mean Christians only are created in the image of God. Everyone has a portion of God's spirit within them. And so when we say that someone or something is spiritual, in one sense it could be that we simply mean of or pertaining to the inner man. That is the incorporeal, the immaterial part of a human being. And so when a person says, I am spiritual, they, they may truly mean, listen, I don't know anything about Christianity or I don't know anything about organized religion, but I, I have some concern and I give some effort to developing the inner man. Some people mean that when they say spiritual. But when we say spiritual... When we talk about growing spiritually, we don't mean in a vacuum uh, giving some attention to the inner man. What we mean is of and emanating from, emulating the character and the will of God Almighty. 
When we say that something is spiritual, we mean that it is in keeping with his will, in keeping with his character. And so Paul would say on one occasion of the law of Moses that it is spiritual. Spiritual in what respect? In that it emulates, it emanates from God and it emulates his character. When you read the law of Moses, what you read is something that comes from God and emulates his character. It reveals who and what he is. In another place, Paul would say that the Spirit of God teaches us by giving us spiritual things with spiritual things. Now listen, in the, in the Greek it just says spiritual with spiritual, but many translations will say by combining spiritual things with spiritual words. Concepts that emanate from the mind of God. Concepts that are communicated in words that are keeping with the will and the character of God. When we talk about growing spiritually then, we're talking about a person increasing in his inner person to such an extent and degree that he comes closer to and more in conformity with the will and character of God. That's what it means to grow spiritually. You know, a person who is uh, baptized and born again, they, they have certainly done a good thing. They've certainly done a required and a right thing. But every day for the rest of their lives, they have to give themselves to growing, to increasing, to better understanding the will of God and conforming their spirit to his spirit. That is spiritual growth. It's fascinating to me. The Bible tells me that Jesus increased in favor with God. The Bible tells me that he grew spiritually. And I know a lot of times we may not think of Jesus as having to, as having to grow spiritually. But friends, I want you to know and understand that he did. Listen, when he was 12 years old, Jesus was not ready to, to fulfill the ministry that God gave him. He, he didn't come into the world fully ready to do everything God wanted him to do. And when we see him at 12, he was already, the Bible says, about his father's business. That's from his own lips, he says. Didn't you know and understand that I must be about my father's business at 12? He had his mind on God's will at 12. His relationship with God was such that he would say this is my father and he desired to be close with him there's already an intimacy there 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 already is a desire to understand and do but that had to grow from that point in time it had to develop he he wasn't ready yet not at 12 we fast forward we see him as an adult and the Bible tells us in John 14, sort of the end product of his growth. You remember, he's in the upper room with his disciples. He's preparing to, to leave now. And he says to them, listen, I'm, I'm going to have to go away and you guys can't come with me. That concerns them. That distresses them. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, if you had known me, you would have known the Father also. And hence more, and henceforth, you will know him and see him. Listen to what he says. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. Well, what does that mean? I tell you, Philip says after that, listen, if you could just, if you could just show us the Father, we would be satisfied. It would suffice us if you would just show us the Father. 
Jesus is a little bothered by that. He says, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how can you say to me, show us the Father? He says, the words that I speak to you are not from myself. Listen to it. But the Father abides in me, and he does his works. What I'm saying to you, friends, is this is the, this is the end result of Jesus having matured spiritually. His communion with God was so close. His, his own character, his own spirit was shaped so much by the character and spirit of the Father that he could truly say, if you have seen me, you have seen him. When you listen to me, you listen to him. What would you like to know about the Father? Would you like to understand his character? Would you like to understand his will? What I say to you is, if you look at me, if you listen to me, you have seen him and you have heard him. This is the end result of a person who is spiritually mature. This is the end result of a person who has been spiritually perfected. You remember when Jesus was in the garden. Bible tells us in Luke 22, and of course all of the, all of the Gospels that give us an account about this, but the Bible tells us that as Jesus is on the eve, the eve of giving his life for the sin of the human family, he goes into the garden by himself and he prays to the Father, listen, if there is another way, I'd rather not do it this way. He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. I know the portion that has been set aside for me. I know why I came into the world. This is not something that excites me to do. This is something that's very difficult. I'd rather not bear all of this. I'd rather not be separated from you even for a, sp a space of time. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Do you see how perfectly Jesus' character, his will has been fashioned in the light of his father's character? his father's will this is the end result of a spiritually mature person you know there's a part of me uh, there is a part of me that is created in the image of God there's a spiritual part of me listen friends that is created in God's image but the Bible tells me that God is spirit he doesn't have a physical body like I have and there's some things that, that relate to my physical body that resist my spiritual being. There's some things in my physical body, the carnal aspect of my being, friends, that they resist the things of God. It's the overcoming of those carnal, physical, human urges to conform one's character and will after God's own character. And will. Jesus acknowledged that here. He says, not my will. You know, I have the capacity to want something different than God wants. Jesus acknowledges right here. Listen, I have the capacity to want something other than what God wants. And at times, it may seem grievous to me to want and do what God wants done. But nevertheless... Not my will, but the Father's will. This is the end result of spiritual growth and maturity. Sometimes I think we assume that Jesus came into the world with this degree of maturity. 
I say to you, no ma'am. I say to you, no sir. Jesus grew into this. I know we have precious little insight into these years intervening from 12 to about age 30. I know we have precious little insight into exactly what was happening with our Lord during this time. But here's what I do know. The Bible says he was increasing in favor with God. If he was increasing in favor with God, how did he do that? See, I'm under the impression when Jesus is seen by the Father in the temple at age 12, the Father was pleased with him. Yet the Bible says he still increased in favor with the Father. How did he do that? Jesus would say in John 15 and verse number 10, You abide in my love if you keep my commandments. He says that to his apostles. Then he says, even as I abide in my father's love and keep his commandments. Why did Jesus have a close, intimate relationship with the father? How could Jesus come to a place where he could say, when you have seen me, you've seen the father. When you heard me, you heard the father. How did that happen? Because he lived a life conforming his will, developing his character after the will and character of the Father. Now listen to me. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was obedient. But I I said this to you some time ago. Listen, there are are, uh, degrees of obedience I mean, listen, obedience still has degrees. In order to be obedient, a person has to do what the one in authority says must be done. But there are some things that are a bit easier to do than some others. And so the things that Jesus was having to do as a small boy, the things that he was having to do as a young man, listen, they paled in comparison to what he was called upon to do at Calvary. He grew into that. I know that's right. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, you remember this in verses 8 and 9, that though he were a son, verse number 8, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Well, what do you mean he learned it? Listen, he learned it to a more perfect degree than he had before that. You've got children, maybe. You've seen children if you don't have children of your own. And you know that there's some things, you know, you tell them to do and and they just do it because, hey, I don't know any other way. Mom says that's the way it's supposed to be done. Dad says that's the way it's supposed to be done. But you know what? As they grow and as they mature, you know what develops? Their own will. They begin to figure out that I actually do have a choice to obey or disobey. You know what? I can do what mom and dad say, or I can do something else. I don't actually have to do what I'm told. Your children, they figure that out sooner or later. Well, Jesus grew. His individuality grew. His own will grew. But he continually conformed his will 
to his father's will. He, he modeled his character after his father's character. And the Bible says in Hebrews 5 and verse number 9 that he was perfected. He matured. He grew. His obedience begat further obedience. He was skilled at understanding what the Father wanted done and conforming his actions and attitudes to the Father's actions and attitudes. In this sense, Jesus grew. Jesus would not have been able to do all that the Father wanted done uh, in his earthly ministry if he had not grown, and the Bible tells us that he did grow in that he increased in favor with God. And the only way to increase in favor with God is to conform one's actions and attitudes to his actions and attitudes. And so when we talk about spiritual growth, then we're talking about the process and the consequence of bringing one's inner person and character into conformity with God's person and character. Paul encouraged the Corinthians in Ephesians 4 and verse number 15 to grow up into all things in Christ. You see, Jesus, Jesus grew into a more perfect reflection of his father's character. And then the Bible teaches us that we should grow into a more perfect reflection of the father's character by reflecting Jesus' character. Y'all see that? That's what it means to grow spiritually. Listen, I, I sometimes have taught lessons about spiritual growth, and I hear other people talk about spiritual growth, but uh, you know what really helped me just as I was thinking about some of these things? I never really hear anybody stop to tell me what they're talking about. This is what it means to grow spiritually. Now, some time ago, I did talk about this passage. I want to look at it with you again. Second Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter, if you don't mind, 1 Peter. Uh, I want you to look at something here because... In this book, listen, Peter has two epistles that are remaining, two extant epistles. And in both of these epistles, he expresses some concern about people's spiritual growth and development. In both of them, he does this. I want to look with you at a portion of what we read in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, he's going to call in chapter 2 for his readers to grow spiritually. He's going to, he's going to issue a call. He's going to tell them this is what needs to happen. But in chapter 1, before he gives them this urging, he mentions several things that I think are helpful. The motive for spiritual growth. Why, why should I be interested? Why should I give my attention to developing my character and will so that it is in harmony with God's character and will? Why should I do that? Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Interesting, he says in verse number 17, the first thing, if you call on him as father, this is interesting to me, who without respects of persons judges according to each man's work past the time of your sojourning in fear. If you call 
on God as father. He's talking about people who are the spiritual offspring of God, people who are already numbered among God's spiritual children. These are Christians already, he says. These are the things that should motivate you. Look at verse number 18. First, you know this. Knowing that you were redeemed, not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, from your vain manner of life handed down from your fathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb without spot, even the blood of Christ, who was foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world, but was manifested at the end of times for your sake, he says." who through him are believers in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope might be in God. What is he saying? You who are children of God, here's the first thing you got to keep in mind. The first thing you have to remember, you know that you have been redeemed. You know that the price for your redemption was not silver or gold. It's not as if God paid some kind of carnal bounty for your spirit and your soul. God redeemed your soul from the eternal consequences of your sin as you followed after the vain manner of living handed down to you from generations before. He paid for that by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why should you be motivated to give your time and your attention to developing spiritually because you know and understand the price that God paid for your spirit? I'll tell you something, if a thing is not very valuable to me, I just don't give it very much time and attention. I mean, there's some things I walk by, I see it laying on the floor, I keep on walking because it doesn't mean anything to me. But there are some other things that if I ever saw them on the floor, I'd stop anything that I was doing and I would rescue it from the floor. And I'd say to myself, how in the world did this get here? I'll never let it get there again. I've been negligent. It deserves my attention because it is precious to me. He says, don't you know, don't you, don't you remember the price that God paid for your soul? I mean, it deserves your time and attention because, because you know what it costs God to redeem it, to buy it back. In verse 20, he says, don't you see? Seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth unto unfeigned love of the brethren, love one another from the heart fervently. Don't you see that what God did for you is he, he rescued you from the eternal consequences of your sin. He redeemed you. He bought you back. And then he placed you into a sincere, loving, spiritual family. Don't you understand that, that God has made you a part of his spiritual family? And I, I told you, there's, there, there, there are important things to keep in mind. There is some responsibility that we all have in how we take care of our physical being. There is. And I think sometimes we don't give it enough attention. But sometimes we give it too much. You know, what God is interested in is your spirit most, first and foremost. And what he does is he makes you a part of his spiritual family. He says you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. You remember what the gospel has done for you? You, you remember what God's design for the gospel is in your life? It is the, the power of God unto salvation. 
you're part of God's family now. Don't you see that, he says. In the next verse, he says, having been begotten again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives in the body. He goes on in verse 24 and 25 to to impress this same point. Listen, he's talking about the power of God's word. You have been born again, he says. You know, there's sometimes when a person may have the thought, you know, I wish I could go back and do that again. You know, I, I wish I could, you know, if I were, if I know what I know now and, and I could go back in time, I would have made some different decisions. Well, listen, friend, you, you don't get to go back in time. You know, you, you, you listen, you make mistakes and you learn from your mistakes and you, you better do better the next time, but you're not going to change what happened the last time. But listen, spiritually, you get a chance to start over again. He says, that's what the gospel did for you. And, and you know what, if you, you, you get to be 20 years old or 30 years old or 40 years old, you know what, I mean, listen, you, you've grown and developed. You, you're the person you are. But spiritually, he says, you can go back and start all over and be born again and grow. See, that's the backdrop. That's the backdrop. That's the motivation. These are the incentives. He, before he issues the call to grow, he says, you guys need to remember this. Don't you know this? Don't you see this? Don't you understand this? And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Putting away, therefore, all wickedness and all guile and hypocrisies and envies, And all evil speakings as newborn babes long for the sincere or the spiritual milk, which is without guile, that you may grow by it unto salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious in verse three. You see, he says, putting away, therefore, the therefore is there for the things that came before it. That's why I tell you, listen, he says, listen, remember all of this, see all of this, understand all of this. And based on all of that, he says, you need to do three things. You need to do three things. The first, this is your methodology. How are you going to grow spiritually? Well, the first thing he says is you need to depart from spiritual disease. Putting away, therefore, all wickedness and guile and hypocrisies and envies, These are spiritual diseases. He he just mentions a few. This is not an exhaustive list. You guys know there's several places in the New Testament where you can turn and see a list, and neither of them is exhaustive, but several lists of these spiritual diseases. He said, you got to put away some things. You have to walk away from some things. You have to depart from some things. There's some things you need to cut away. You know, I don't know if Jesus ever had a bad habit. I don't know that he ever had something where it was like, listen, this is something that I'm doing and it's probably a waste of my time. I need to walk away from that. I don't know that because I don't have that kind of insight. But here's what I do know. I do. You do. You know what a disease is, don't you? It is a defect in an organ or an organism that works against its good health. If you have a disease, if you have a defect in an organ in your body, you would not ignore that and think you're going to work on your physical health. You wouldn't say, well, I know my heart is a ticking time bomb. Let me ignore that and start running. If you know there's something wrong with your body and you have a concern for your physical health, the first thing you would do is address that malady. The same is true, the same is true 
spiritually. He mentions again several things here, and you may look at this list and say, well, listen, none of those things are my problem. Well, that's fine, but you know what? You have your problems. Yes, you do. You, you, you have some spiritual diseases. You have some things that deserve your time and attention, and just the way that no one would expect to be in good health physically while ignoring diseases, no one would expect to be in good health spiritually while ignoring diseases. Paul says you... You put those things away. Paul says you cut those things out. What's in your heart that you know is working against your spiritual growth and development? What's in your life that you know is inconsistent with God's will? Don't live with that another moment. Don't live with that another day. Not if you want to grow spiritually. You lay that aside. You put that away. Sometimes this would be kind of radical, you know, listen, we, we've got loved ones right here and, and we know people outside of this place who've had so different kinds of physical illnesses, you know, different kinds of physical diseases. And, and listen, we treat that stuff very, very aggressively when we have to, you know, you, you may undergo several rounds of chemotherapy and that does a lot of damage to the body, but we do that because that's what's necessary to deal with the disease. There, there've been some occasions where people have certain kinds of maladies and listen, we amputate a limb. How much more, how much more aggressive can you get than that? But we do that because that's what's necessary to to preserve the body. Sometimes we have to be radical in dealing with our spiritual diseases. Nobody wants to do that. But Jesus said in Matthew 18, listen, if your hand or your foot offends you, you need to cut it off because it's better to enter into life. It's better to have a good, developed spiritual life so that you can be acceptable and intimate with God than it is to enter into the afterlife and be whole, but, but spiritually not whole. He says, if your eye offends you, you'd be better to pluck it out because it's better to, to have a good spiritual life and only have one eye than to have both and have to meet God in judgment. Sometimes we have to be radical, but if we want to have good health, Peter says, we depart from disease. Second thing he tells us here is that we need to uh, deepen our spiritual desire. Depending on your translation, he, he says, long for I think the English Standard Version says long for. The New American Standard Bible says long for. I know the old version says desire. The idea behind that original term is to earnestly desire something. It's the same word that is used to translate a, uh, an infant's wearying thirst for his mother's milk. You know how, I mean, children, listen, if, if, if an infant is hungry and wants to nurse, nothing else in the world matters. You can sing, you can walk around, you can do whatever you want. Until that child has his or her thirst satisfied, nothing in the world is going to, is going to happen. You've got to stop and deal with that. And uh, listen, you know, ladies, boy, it takes a lot of energy out of you, don't, doesn't it? I've seen it. It'll wear you out all day long, a child wanting to nurse like that. He says, that's how, that's how you should long for and desire God's word. Sometimes we want to be right and we want to do right. Listen to me. But we don't want it enough. 
We just kind of want it. We just think, oh, it'd be a good idea, you know, if I could. It'd be nice if. The idea here is everything else has to wait. Everything else is on hold. This is what's most important. This is number one. And sometimes the things that distract us in life are not inherently evil. They're not inherently wrong, but they're problematic because they take the place of or they distract us from this desire. Yeah, recreation is not a bad thing. Recreation has a proper place, but sometimes recreation becomes its own job. It's not, listen, you long for, you thirst for spiritual growth and development. How do you develop your thirst for spiritual growth and development? Somebody's sitting here thinking, well, I think it'd be a good idea, but you know, it's just not an insatiable desire, and I don't know what to do about that. Well, the Bible says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, if you have experienced God's great blessings in your life, see, this will help you develop your thirst and your desire. You ever had a, you know, a good meal or a dish at a particular place and you really, really enjoyed that? Boy, I'm looking forward to coming back to this place. I'm looking forward to having this again, you know, because a, a taste of it will develop a desire for more. I don't know if God's ever blessed you. I don't know if he's ever blessed you. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought, I could have woken up this morning and not been in my right mind because somebody did wake up this morning not in their right mind. I wonder if you thought I am where I am because of how special I am or if you thought I wouldn't be anywhere without God. I wonder if you ever thought, listen, there are people who are born into this world and never know their parents, never know their parents. And I've got two parents who love me and spend time with me. You know, somebody, listen, I got an email from a student of mine whose mom was recently diagnosed with a pretty bad health condition. And she's asking me to give her some encouragement. And I have to do that, but I had to kind of think about this a little bit because, you know, you've got to be careful how you deal with these kinds of things. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Nobody's going to live forever. Nobody's going to live forever. But, you know, you had 30 years or 40 years with that particular loved one. Do you know some people don't get 30 or 40 days? God, has he blessed you in any way? Because if he has, when you meditate on that and you think about how good he is and how gracious he is, that helps you develop a desire to know him more and to be closer to him so you can continue to experience his great blessings. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, you want a more further taste. Does that make any sense? I know what I just said. I know what I said. You want a more further, you, you want as much of that as you can possibly have. That, that'll help you develop your desire. Listen, meditate on God's goodness. The last thing I'll mention here, he says, is you have to develop your spiritual diet. The uh, sincere milk or the spiritual milk, he says, which is able to help you grow unto salvation. The word of God. It's the word of God 
that brought you to him in the first place. It's the word of God that that allowed you to be redeemed in the first instance. It is the word of God that allowed you to be born again. It is the word of God that purified your soul. It is the word of God that reveals his will, his character to you. And so if you want to grow spiritually, you have to continue to nurse upon the word of God, to feast upon his revelation. This is God's mind opened up to us. You want to know who God is? You you want to know what his will is so you can conform to it? Friends, you have to open your Bible and spend copious amounts of time in your Bible. This has to be this has to be your diet. I remember in Acts 20 in verse number 32 Paul would say to the Ephesian elders that he commended them to God and to the word of his grace, he says, which is able to build you up. Sometimes our our issue is having to depart from certain things or get rid of certain things. But let me tell you, there is another issue where you can cut out something that shouldn't be there, but if you fail to fill that up with what should be there, you make yourself susceptible to more problems. Uh, You guys remember in Matthew 12, Jesus talked about the man who had had an evil spirit cast out of him. He said, listen, the, the place was swept clean, But after so much time, the spirit didn't find anywhere else to go. And he comes back to this man. And you know what? That space was was cleaner than it was when the spirit was there the first time. And so he moves on in and brings some friends with him also. And the Bible says the latter end of the man was worse than the first. You know, somebody gives up cigarettes and then they take up drinking. And they give up drinking and then they start on cocaine. Well, what's the problem? See, they're getting rid of something, but they're not filling it with the right thing. You cut out your bad habits. You meditate on the goodness of God. And you fill your heart and your mind with his word, his will, understanding his character. And the Bible says you'll grow like that. There's so much more that could be said, but... uh, That's as much as we'll say, that's as much as we'll say this morning. Jesus grew spiritually. He grew in that he increased in his conforming, his will, and his character to God's will and character. He increased, he advanced, he grew in that his capacity to submit and obey God in even the toughest of circumstances were developed over time and punctuated by his obedience at Calvary. You and I need to grow like that. If we're going to fulfill our ministries, if we're going to do what God sent us here to do, we have to grow like that. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He died for my sin. He died for yours. 
so that we can have the opportunity to be a part of God's spiritual family. If we want to be a part of God's spiritual family, then we'll have to conform our will to his. Jesus says, if you don't believe that I am he, that is the Messiah, the Son of God, you will die in your sin. John 8 and 24. If you die in your sin, then where I'm going, you cannot go. John 8 and 21. Jesus says, if you do not repent of your sin, you will perish. Luke 13 and 3, again in verse number 5. Jesus expects us all to confess him. Listen, with our mouths, yes, and with our lives, with our actions, with our attitudes, but with our mouths. In Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says that confession, that verbal confession, moves us closer to being saved. Jesus requires that everyone who will be saved will be baptized for the remission of their sins. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Those who don't believe will be condemned. We conform our lives to his will, and then we live faithful, even if it means that we die. We continue to be obedient. We follow Jesus' example of submission to the Father that brings us closer to him and allows us to conform our character to his. If we can help you this morning, we would love to do that. Would you let us know if we can, how we can, as we stand and sing this song together?